This is the Dialogue Journal podcast series. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Dialogue podcast. I'm Morris Thurston, your host, and today we have a very exciting subject because it's fresh and new, and that is the new church website just put up within the last few days called mormonsandgays.com. It's a great follow-up to our previous podcast where we were discussing this very subject with Dr. Caitlin Ryan and uh, Dr. Robert Reese. In fact, some of the ideas and thoughts that they expressed in their pamphlet uh, about how to treat our gay and lesbian children are the very concepts that are discussed on the New Church website. But there's much more to it than that, and I'm pleased that joining me today we have three very distinguished individuals and very knowledgeable in this area. We have Dr. William Bradshaw, we have Dr. Bob Reese back with us again, and we have Mitch Main. And I'd like to just take a moment to introduce those of us on the panel. Let me say this. This is the first time I've done a podcast where we've done it telephonically. And one of the things I learned was that when I pushed the record button on our telephone conference, I need to make sure that it actually went on, and it didn't. And so the four of us had a great conversation for about almost a half an hour before I discovered this fact. And the introductions were cut out. We actually went back and did almost everything that we had left out. But I'm going to do the introductions just myself. So if this sounds a little bit rehearsed, it's because it is. Bill Bradshaw is a graduate of Harvard. He received his Ph.D. from the University of Illinois. He's currently retired, but he was a longtime professor at BYU in the Microbiology and Molecular Biology Department. He's received several teaching awards, and while there, uh, he served as a time as an assistant dean of the honors program. Bill served as a mission president in Hong Kong only 11 years after returning from his mission, so he must have been a very young mission president. He and his wife, Marge, are the parents of five children, one of whom is gay, and many grandchildren. Bill has studied and lectured widely on the biological origins of homosexuality, and he's probably the most knowledgeable person in the church on that subject. Uh, and he's participated in a really important study that's been going on, and, and results of that, some of them have been published, and I believe uh, more are yet to be published about uh, the gay experience in uh, the LDS Church. Bob Reese, like Bill, is a lifelong active member of the church who served in a number of capacities. He was a professor at UCLA for many years. During part of that time, he served as a bishop of the Los Angeles First Ward, where he ministered to a number of gay and lesbian members. More recently, he and his wife Ruth, Ruth served as service missionaries in the St. Petersburg, Russia, and Baltic States missions. He's published widely on a variety of topics, and his publication list would go on for page after page. He's also served as one of the first editors of Dialogue. Mitch Main is an openly gay, active member of the LDS Church, currently serving as executive secretary in the bishopric of his ward. He was baptized into the Mormon Church at eight, like most of us, well, all of us on this podcast, but he went through a period of inactivity due to his parents' divorce. In his mid-20s, he returned to the church, 
knowing that he was gay and that he would have to find a way to reconcile his sexual orientation with his faith. He has been in a committed same-sex relationship, but he no longer is. He has become very well known in relation to gay issues and has written or been quoted in a number of media pieces. Mitch attended college at Stanford and he currently works for a Fortune 100 company. And then finally, uh, let me just say a, a word or two about myself so you'll know who I am. I am likewise a lifelong member of the church. I served a mission in Norway. I got my bachelor's degree from BYU and a JD degree from Harvard Law School. Practiced law for 35 years. I've served in several bishoprics and on a high council and as a consultant to the Joseph Smith Papers on legal issues. I was active during the Prop 8 campaign and published a paper titled A Commentary on Six Consequences if Prop 8 Fails, which was a critique of the legal consequences that some members of the church were positing if Prop 8 were not passed. And I found most of those so-called consequences to be misleading, if not outright false. So that's our group, and I just couldn't be more pleased with the quality of people. Let's just jump right into it. To begin with, let me throw out a question that I'd like each of you to answer, and that is to tell me one thing that you specifically like about the New Church website. And let's begin with Mitch on this one. Thanks, Morris. Well, I think there was a lot to like on this website, and I am absolutely thrilled to be able to say that and, and even more thrilled to be able to mean it. I think so often when our church as an institution comes out with with things to help LGBT Mormons, they aren't really particularly helpful. Um, this is an exception to that. Uh, it's imperfect, but, but there is a lot of good to be found here. I think the thing that I actually found to be most, what, what hit me first was the fact that we're actually using the term gay now. Even if we look at the URL, the URL is mormonsandgays.org, which I think is, is really great, because what this does is actually begin to take us out a little bit from our sort of primitive understanding of what it really means to be an LGBT Mormon. I mean, for decades now, we've used the term same-sex attracted or same-gender attracted. And what that really does is reduce a sexual orientation to feelings that can be um, acted on or denied. And that really isn't what the reality is around being a gay Mormon. Um, these aren't just feelings. This is part of a complex sexual orientation uh, that encompasses many, many facets of our personality and many facets of our life, of which um, sexual attractiveness is one, an important one, but only one. And really why I find this so heartening is, is because I think, you know, each one of us on this call here have interacted with and knows personally um, some of our general authorities and some of our spiritual leaders, and we know them to be, by and large, really amazingly deep, kind men who, who genuinely, I think, want to do the right thing. It's awfully hard, however, to do the right thing if what you're trying to respond to, you're not even you know, using the correct terminology or you're not even calling it by the right name. So as we look to the church to respond effectively and genuinely to what it really means to be an LGBT Mormon, it's very helpful that they're actually entering the world of real, authentic dialogue. Thanks, Mitch. Bob, what did you like about the website? Well, the thing that I that hit me from the very beginning and carried uh, throughout was a very definite and a very welcome change in tone, as well as in language. That is, how we talk about something as important as what we say 
And so this website includes language that's more compassionate, more loving, shows a number of leaders, parents, spouses, and friends, as well as gays and lesbians themselves, affirming the indispensable importance of love. So hopefully this will replace the, uh, the, the kind of lack of love and compassion and respect that our gay brothers and lesbian sisters have, uh, have experienced over the years. And so I, I feel that if leaders and parents and if all of us can truly follow the examples uh, of the way that these people talk about this issue, it, it could constitute a, constitute a sea change in our relationship with homosexual Latter-day Saints and change the tone within our congregations and families. Something that I think is desperately needed. Bill? There are a lot of uh, issues about homosexuality for which Latter-day Saints carry serious misconceptions. And I was pleased to see here that some of them are contradicted. And so we are told, importantly, that same-sex attraction is not a choice that homosexuality is not a disease nor an illness, that marriage is not always advisable as a means to deal with being gay or lesbian. And although President Hinckley made it clear that that was true and that that was the way the Church viewed it, and that changed uh, for many people the kind of advice they heard from Church leaders, more recently, a lot of publicity has been given to gay Latter-day Saint men who have been able to enter into a successful heterosexual marriage. And that may have revived the notion that marriage might be something that uh, should be uh, advised. Uh, I was pleased that one of the respondents indicated uh, uh, that his homosexual feelings came at a very early age, for him age four. That's important to know that young people and adolescents are very much aware of their difference with, with respect to romantic feelings. A, a second uh, positive aspect about the website is the visual impact. Uh, it puts a face <clears throat> on real people. We, we see those who are clearly... Uh, respectable, uh, decent human beings. This is much more compelling than reading a text, and I think will lead viewers to be more sympathetic. I agree with you, Bill. I I really enjoyed the visuals. I thought they were extremely well done, and uh, I would just advise any of our listeners who go onto the site to avoid the temptation. It might seem a lot more efficient for you simply to read the text that is written beneath the visuals, but for one thing, the text is not, it's not a word-for-word transcription of what is said, so you will be missing parts of it, and, but more importantly, you'll be missing the, the soul, the spirit, the inner self of the person who's talking that you can only get by looking, looking at their faces and feeling the emotions in their voices, so I would definitely advise that. Any, anyone, is there anything else of a positive nature that that impressed you about the church's website that we haven't talked about? I like the fact that uh, the church, uh, there is a clear statement, quote, there is much we don't understand about this subject. I think the humility in that acknowledgement is really important because uh, at times, I think in the past, we have tended, or some people have tended to assume that 
we understood everything. And so the acknowledgement that there is uh, still further light and knowledge to come on this subject, I think, is encouraging. To add to yeah. that, um, I think you know, I just want to make mention here of, you know, I talked earlier about how I feel like there's many things that are positive and good about this site. What really strikes me, I think, is is if we look at just, you know, the past 14, 16 months of, of history that we have been making um, when it comes to the Mormon and gay intersection here, we have seen um, the emergence of Mormon conferences that focus specifically on LGBT issues and, and the struggle of how LGBT members fit within our faith. We have seen the emergence of organizations like Mormons Building Bridges and Mormons for Marriage Equality, both of whom serve different purposes. One serves to help educate and include Mormons on kind of a, and gay Mormons on a basic level, while um, Mormons for Marriage Equality actually actively goes out to the community and seeks legal equality for LGBT people. And then we also can't dismiss the importance of straight Mormons marching in 17 or 18 pride parades around the world this year, you know, holding up signs that range from LDS heart LGBT to this Mormon mom supports your right to marry. I mean, that is truly historic. And then we have me as an openly gay man who has been appointed and called into a leadership position in the board. <laughs> You add to that um, this website, and it's really clear that this the evolution of um, how we understand how LGBT Mormons fit within our faith is really on a fast-forward track right now. So this is very, very optimistic and very heartening, and, and I find it as a gay Mormon to be very uplifting. This is Bill. I'd like to add uh, that I'm pleased by the encouragement for discussion. It's not only true that LGBTQ Mormons tend to be closeted, but homosexuality, homosexuality as a topic is, has been closeted in the church. So to open up the subject uh, for discussion, to encourage conversations, to bring this subject, which is so vital to so many families in the church, to an openness that permits us to learn from one another, I find that very a very good thing. I wonder how we can, uh, what needs to be done from this point forward. Now, you know, the, the website is up. It's there available for church members to see. But if that is all that is done, there will be a lot of church members who are just blissfully unaware of it. Uh, now, in Utah, I know there was an article in the Deseret News, certainly in the Salt Lake Tribune, that people are reading about this in their papers, but my wife was uh, with a couple of her friends this morning, both of whom are very intelligent, college-educated, some advanced-degree women who uh, have held leadership positions in the church, and neither of them was even aware of the website. And now we're here in California. I'm hoping that there will be something done within the wards, perhaps. I can see this as being an excellent topic for a maybe a fifth Sunday Priesthood Relief Society joint meeting uh, to point this resource out and perhaps even show a few of the vignettes so that people really do know about it. I think that's an absolutely brilliant suggestion. Um, I think that, you know, your friends may not know about it now, but <clears throat> I think in a week or two <laughs> you're going to be hard-pressed to find a Mormon that really isn't aware of it. I, this thing is spreading like wildfire. I mean, the church um, is, is could not ask for better PR. I think than than the number of press requests that just I am getting personally 
Um, I just returned from New York, and I, I literally, I, I think I did six or seven press calls within two days, and today I have three more. Um, it's, it's really, people are very, very interested in this. So social media is our ally on this one, Morris, and I think it is going to get out there. But I would like to see that sort of um, structured guidance uh, from every ward, because that is one of the questions that I had about this website, and we'll get to that in a moment, I know, when we want to talk about a critique of it, but is what is the call to action? What do we do now? What is different? Um, how are individual ward members and individual you know, ecclesiastical leaders supposed to respond? Um, so I think your suggestion for Fifth Sunday meeting is, uh, is a very good one. Yeah, and I think that I'm also more familiar with a different demographic than you are, Mitch. I, I'm I'm on Facebook. I'm certainly aware of all these things as they come out, but a lot of my friends are not, and uh, they get news the old-fashioned way, which basically means <laughs> they need to hear it in church. Now, I wanted to do one thing, too. Since we focused on the vignettes, I'd like to, and I've asked each of our participants to select one particular vignette that they found compelling or interesting or worth talking about and uh, discussing it specifically with uh, the group so that uh, w with our listeners so that you'll have several ideas of where to go on the website to find interesting vignettes and let's this time let's start with bill uh, i'm going to tell you about uh, suzanne uh, i picked this story because she's a woman and because i'm aware that uh, Homosexuality among women is less studied, less talked about, perhaps, but no less significant. So uh, we first meet Suzanne with her fishing pole and her, and her tackle box, and she's wending her way through the brush trying to find her favorite fishing hole. And we see this love of the outdoors, uh, an athleticism, uh, a very positive, youthful individual. So she's bicycling in some images. She's uh, playing ball. She's on a surfboard. Suzanne uh, is an active individual. She talks about her story, beginning with the fact that at a very early age she was always intrigued by women, not men. Uh, she distinguishes a period of 10 years when she was uh, feeling great tension over her sexual feelings and her love of the church and her testimony of the gospel, and a more recent three-year period in which that tension has been relieved and she finds herself totally committed as a Latter-day Saint. We feel a little bit of the pain in her voice as she talks about this push-pull tension during which, on the one hand, she considered herself a, a very bad person because of her same-sex feelings. But now, in the last three years, she has come to accept it. A burden that she's been carrying has been lifted somewhat. She attributes uh, love and understanding from her sister-in-law as being instrumental in this change. At the end of her conversation. She talks about uh, meeting with a church leader, probably her bishop, who, although he expresses uh, uncertainty about the issues and is not well-versed, he is, quote, willing to walk with me. Uh, throughout the visual images of Suzanne, uh, especially near the end, we see her interacting with her 
nephews and nieces. Clearly, this is a loving relationship between these people. Uh, these uh, young kids love Aunt Susie, at least at the level of the family she is included. This is a story that I hope will resonate with many viewers, but especially with younger viewers who I would suggest are much more knowledgeable, open, and sympathetic toward their gay friends and brothers and sisters than certainly people of my vintage. That's uh, something about Suzanne. Excellent. Bob, what, what one would you like to talk about? I think it's hard to, for me to choose between those voices uh, representing uh, gay and lesbian Latter-day Saints or their family members and the more official voices. Uh, I, was, I was struck by the fact that there are, are three members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles who speak on this website, and in addition, um, a state president, a bishop, uh, and so I think uh, having people like President Carter in the uh, San Francisco stake whose attitude and whose uh, example is very much like that of, uh, say, someone like President Dean Criddle, who of the Oakland stake, who, in my estimation, has been the most enlightened, uh, say, president of the church on this issue, but also good bishops. Uh, you know, I have a friend, a therapist, who collects what she calls good bishop stories, and she says she doesn't have enough of them. <laughs> and so when we have uh, bishops like Bishop Fletcher of San Francisco and others, who reached out and welcomed gay and lesbian Latter-day Saints without judgment into the congregations. To me, it's just it's been very heartening. And so, as I I, I selected uh, uh, Elder Quentin Cook's uh, uh, vignette because I think it represents that uh, that more enlightened and compassionate voice that we need to hear from the highest uh, councils of the church. He says this. He says, "I think the lesson I learned. He learned this as a bishop and as a state president." dealing with gay and Latter-day Saints. I think the lesson that I learned from this is that as a church, nobody should be more loving and compassionate. I think that's really an important statement because we consider ourselves the true, the restored, the living church of Jesus Christ. And he says nobody should be more loving and compassionate than, than we should be, and yet we have not been. Uh, going on with this statement, he says, no family who has anybody who has a same-gender issue should exclude them from the family circle. He must know, as I'm sure he does, that a lot of families have excluded their gay or lesbian child from the family circle. He goes on to say, quote, they need to be part of the family circle. Let us be at the forefront in terms of expressing love, compassion, and outreach to those, and let us not have families exclude or be disrespectful of those who choose a different lifestyle as a result of their feelings about their own gender. Generally, in the discourse that I've heard over the years, lifestyle is used in Mormon circles as a pejorative term. The gay lifestyle is, uh, is just a really terribly negative term. And here he's using it in a way that I think it acknowledges that there are different lifestyles and that we should be respectful and loving about people who have a different lifestyle. He then says... And this is a point that I was really touched by because he, his voice starts to break and he has to recompose himself. But he says, I'm sorry. I feel very strongly about this, as you can tell. I think it's a very important principle. So the, princi end of quote, so the principle of loving, of being compassionate, of being respectful, 
And this is not the kind of language we've been used to, to hearing in the church. And so when Elder Cook speaks with such deep passion and compassion in his voice, I found it very compelling. And I feel that his statement should be framed and put on the wall of every Latter-day Saint home and in every bishop's and state president's office in the church. Thanks, Bob. That, that was uh, a good summary. And now, uh, Mitch, you, you had selected one. I did. Um, and I actually, Bob, thank you for your perspective on um, Elder Cook's. I, thought, I think it was very, very well done. Um, I actually uh, want to talk a little bit about President Roger Carter. Now, I, I do have to say that I am a little bit biased having, you know, served in the Bay Ward here in San Francisco and the San Francisco Stake, as well as serving a couple of callings over in the Oakland and East Bay Stakes under President Dean Criddle. I, I love Dean Criddle. I cannot say enough good things about him. He is, in many ways, my hero, um, my ally, and my friend. And when I met Roger, obviously who I know personally, um, when I met him you know, a little over a year ago when we began the process of, of putting me into this calling, he was uh, he was a little bit of a tough nut to crack. He his vocabulary was clearly locked in the mindset of of what the church thinks it knows about you know being a gay Mormon and has and thought thought it's known for many years. Um, it was his vocabulary was all same sex attracted. You know there was a whole host of sins that comes along with this that type of thing. Um, and uh, over the past 16 months, I have seen President Carter transform from someone who was a pretty typical Mormon in that he didn't think about this issue any more than he absolutely had to, to somebody who is, is pretty well informed and has moved significantly, um, significantly along the needle of, of understanding, of, of insight, of compassion, and really expressing Christ-like love. In his video, he actually says specifically, he talks about the importance of the family unit and keeping the family together. His quote is, you know, the best case scenarios that I have dealt with are where families have been unequivocal about their love and compassion for a family member who is gay. Our counsel to these families is to preserve the family unit, to look at it eternally, and that we love and accept members of our own family, that we cherish and value the members of our family, and that keeping the family together is the most important criteria. And the reason that this is so critical is... Um, you know, as a gay Mormon and, and having gone so public with my calling so quickly some year, a little over a year ago, I've now become the repository of tens of thousands of stories from uh, gay Mormons and from their families who are full of, uh, you know, these gay Mormons are so deeply wounded. Um, some of them are, you know, 60s and in their 70s. The way their family has treated them, the way their family has shunned them, the way their congregations have shunned them, you know, has left, has left wounds on these individuals that, that this lifetime hasn't healed um, and has shaped how they see themselves in this world, which probably has ramifications far beyond physical and mental health and, you know, their success in their careers, their success with being able to have deep and meaningful even friendships with other people, let alone intimate partnership or marriage types relationships. So President Carter's, President Carter's counsel here to keep the family together is really helping set us up for a next generation of much, much healthier gay Mormon. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. I, I really like President Carter. He is a good guy. He is funny. Um, I still don't think he really knows what the heck to do with me all the time. Um, and that's quite all right. Uh, I, every time we meet, I get the, the furrowed brow, and I, 
I see his little eyebrows go a little bit closer together, but he is a, a good guy and, you know, like so many within our church, wants to genuinely do the right thing. And I praise him for having the wherewithal to to admit that, you know, there are some things that he just doesn't know. Thanks, Mitch. I, I was likewise impressed with his vignette and appreciate someone who is there on the ground and is serving as a local uh, leader in an area where he he does brush shoulders with gay and lesbian members of the church, being able to hear from him. Uh, like you, I could I, I don't know him personally, but I could sense reading between the lines that his his adaptation is is still ongoing. I noticed that uh, he did tend to use uh, the term uh, the gay lifestyle. Uh, you mentioned that he had known homosexuals who came to San Francisco to participate in the same-sex lifestyle uh, that San Francisco offered. And, you know, that, that always bugs me a little bit when people use it, but I realize that it, it's habit-forming and it's hard it's, it's hard for people to change their habits. There was a, uh, I thought, a, a great cartoon in the Los Angeles Times uh, yesterday or the day before, a political cartoon, and it showed a picture of a, of a man and a woman in their home, and the man is standing with a pair of binoculars looking into the home next door, and the woman is standing and holding uh, her child. And the man is saying, first they were gardening, then they cleaned house, and now they're sitting at the kitchen table paying bills. And the woman is saying, Lordy, those hedonistic homo perverts are pretending to be married. Don't let the children see. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, the gay lifestyle is exactly that. If they're married and they're, they're gardening, they're cleaning house, and they're paying bills. But anyway... That's that's a minor thing, and I think overall it was a great a great vignette. Well, we can talk um, about this more as we progress, Morris, too, but I'm not so sure that it is is really a minor thing because you've hit on something that I you know that we can shift to a later point in the conversation. But one of the things that I think is very interesting around the whole concept of LGBT Mormons is we still, in many ways, are relying on you as straight men and as straight ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical leaders to tell us that we're okay. And you think you have that right. And the reality is we need to be able to tell ourselves as gay Mormons that we're okay the way we are. And until that happens and until that voice is embedded in a tape that we play ourselves over and over again every day, we're not going to be okay. As long as we rely on anybody's opinion of ourselves more than we do our own or more than we do that of our Savior, we're never going to be okay. So, you know, I'm glad that, you know, these men are, are being so kind and benevolent. But on the same token, it's far more important in my book that every single LGBT Mormon out there understand that it's our Savior's opinion that really matters and ours. I'm so pleased to hear you say that, Mitch, because it seems to me that, you know, have when I was a bishop of, single, of the Singles Ward in Los Angeles many years ago and had a number of gay and lesbian members of my congregation, I could see that they were desperately looking for mirrors to tell them that they were okay. They were looking in the faces of their church leaders. They were looking in the faces of their family and their brother and sister to look for something, something that says, I love you, you are of value, you are... Uh, 
you are somebody that um, that I that I feel is part of my circle. And when what has happened is that when they've looked into the faces of family and church leaders and members, and have seen instead rejection, they've seen messages, they've seen repulsion. Then it's very difficult for a person to feel that. So the the thing I like about this website and about the the conversations we've having is that it will change the lives and faces and minds and hearts of people so that when a gay and lesbian comes to church with a partner and holds her hand, people won't fall off the the pew or have epiplexy or feel like something uh, evil has come into the room, that they will see, gee, in these faces people are loving and accepting me who I am. Well, I think you, you've hit on another point, too, that I, that I really like about this website. As in all things with our faith that we do to help gay Mormons, we actually end up helping straight Mormons far more, and that's okay. This website is a great resource for straight Mormons, um, not so sure for, for gay Mormons. But the truth of the matter is, I, you know, I spoke some months ago in, in Washington, D.C., and one of the ideas that I posited is you know, this whole concept of a, an extra test being given to us as gay Mormons Guys, I really don't think the test is whether or not, you know, we as gay Mormons are going to live these kind of celibate half-lives, you know, in order to stay within our church or, or live someone else's version of our life. I think there, there very likely is a test wrapped up in, in why there are gay people and why there are gay Mormons specifically. But I think that test isn't for me as a gay man. I think the test is for you. And the test is simply this. Will you... Bill, will you, Bob, will you, Morris, will you extend to me genuine Christ-like love and understanding and acceptance? Will you allow me to live a fulfilled and loving and natural life as a gay man? Or will you try to force me into something that I'm not? That's what I really think the true test is. So, yes, this website is wonderful, and yes, it's helpful. We're still kind of locked in that mindset of straight people have something to give us, and I'm not so sure that we're looking at it the right way. I think it's us who have something to give you, and that is a lesson on Christ-like love. It's so interesting you say that, Mitch, because uh, 25 years ago, whenever it was, uh, when I published uh, Lester Bush's article on the blacks and the priesthood, Hugh Nibley was one of the respondents, and he said something almost identical to what you said. He said the, that was a test of, of the, the, the charity, the Christianity of white people, and that we had essentially uh, failed that. And so um, what you've just said and what the website says is now, now maybe we have a chance to repent. I, I like what you said too, Mitch, about the website almost being uh, more important for straight people than gay people because I think therein lies some of the real value of the website. Uh, and let me use that as an entree into the vignette that I selected to, to highlight during this podcast. And that was Judy's vignette. I really like that. Like Bill, I think one reason I selected it is because she was a woman. And so often when we go on to church websites, we see lots of talks and resources of, of men who are speaking and not so much of women. Judy is a woman of a certain age, I suppose you would say, and more in my generation perhaps than a younger generation a woman who is a mother and a grandmother, a very attractive woman in a very nice home that seems to be in a mountainous area. And she explains that she had three children and three grandchildren and that three of those six are gay, one of her children, two of her grandchildren. 
And you can tell as she explains this that, although she doesn't specifically say this, that when her first when her son came out as being gay, that this was probably very difficult for her, and it would have been a generation ago that this happened. But that over the years, she's come to understand the situation better and has, has been able to extend full acceptance to him and to her two grandsons who are gay. And now uh, it's much easier for her because she had to go through it first with her son. You can see that she is extending really unconditional love to her entire family. And one of her grandsons is there, and he, he is also part of the vignette. He explains how great it is to be living with his grandmother. And we get, although he doesn't, again, specifically indicate this, but it appears that he is not currently an active member of the church. And that is, I think, a good thing, because we need to have people on there who are struggling with their relationship to the church as well as dealing with being gay. And and yet this is something that Judy is fully accepting of. I think that my experience has been that very often mothers beat themselves up over things that their children do as though it is their fault when it very seldom is. And it's, I think, particularly sad when they feel that being gay is something that is a negative thing, that somehow they're to blame for it, that it needs to be fixed. And I've known mothers who felt that way. Uh, my wife has, has uh, visit taught mothers who, who have expressed those very feelings. And hearing Judy talk, I think, is a great message for all mothers and grandmothers who have this come. I, her final words are, but being a mother and now a grandmother of a gay son and grandsons has just included a myriad of feelings from anguish and despair and all those things on that end to pure joy in the human beings that each one of them is and in their own qualities that are so unique to them. And I wouldn't trade a one of them for anyone else. And to me, that's a powerful message. You know, what Judy emulates, and I'm so sorry to keep jumping in, <laughs> Judy's actually I in, my, in one of my former wards, and she and her husband, Rich, were probably among the top reasons that I had such an amazing, amazing Mormon experience as a gay man. They absolutely had, I wasn't just loved and accepted for who I was, I was actually celebrated and honored for who I was as a gay Mormon. And Judy and, and, and her husband were, were at the forefront of that. And I think that what Judy's video does is gives straight people permission to actually begin to do that. I think as LGBT members of the church, our testimonies, the diversity that we, that we bring to the faith, our testimonies, our stories, our hearts, our spirits, our perspectives, really add richness and depth to the tapestry that is, that is our global Mormon community. And we make it so much stronger. And Judy gets that. And to see that displayed and to see her passionate appeal. And, you know, and she's talking about, you know, I knew a gay Mormon man who, you know, struggled to find his place within the faith, and he got an answer in his prayers. Um, and that answer was, you belong here. Um, that gay Mormon was me. Um, she's talking about me. And I think that, you know, had I not been sitting next to Judy that day in church, maybe I wouldn't have gotten that piece of inspiration. She's a lovely soul, and I'm, and I'm so happy to see her on here. Well, thanks for that. I don't know Judy, but I wish I did. I can now, arrange that for you. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. 
one of the things that I wanted to cover in, in this podcast, and I think now is, is the appropriate time to get there, is what about it uh, would we like perhaps to see done better in the future? What are things that concern us about it? What are messages that perhaps uh, we feel are not so great? And uh, I'll let anyone just jump in with thoughts, and maybe we can go around and, and each of us comment on that. This is Bill. Go I'll jump in and try to be uh, succinct. Early on, we learned that what viewers are going to be exposed to is not comprehensive, so that certain topics, certain issues are intentionally left unaddressed. And two of these are the cause of homosexuality and change, the possibility of sexual orientation alteration. So, for example, in a section entitled Being True to Religious Beliefs, we read the following. No one fully knows the root cause of same-sex attraction. Each experience is unique. Well, it occurs to me that if I had a book in my hand entitled What We Fully Know About Anything, religious or secular, it would be a very thin volume. Of course, we don't fully know a lot, but that doesn't mean we don't know anything. In fact, we know a lot. There is significant evidence about the cause of sexual orientation, both gay and straight, and there's a significant body of evidence relative to the question of whether or not uh, orientation is subject to change. And the answers are that there, there is significant evidence that homosexuality has a biological origin. Why is this important? It's important for parents who look at this website to understand that what they didn't do as parents or what they did do as parents are not responsible for their child's sexual orientation that those things were programmed during embryonic development in the imprinting of the brain in ways clearly that we're ignorant of in most detail. But there is enough for us to know that such mechanisms do exist. Why is it important that we, at some point, address honestly the issue of whether or not sexual orientation can change? Because the lives of many, many, many of our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters are impacted in the most significant way by this issue. So this website does not appear on a neutral background. These issues uh, have had great impact in the lives of people that we care about. And so uh, I'm hoping that there will be a time, in fact, when we don't start the program by saying we're going to leave these things out, but we're going to talk about them, we're going to talk about them honestly, we're going to be able to say that though we're not, of course, completely cognizant of all of the details and all of the issues, we know enough to act on these questions in a way that blesses the lives of our brothers and sisters. Um, I'm going to risk taking another minute, although I'm sensitive about the time issue. I want to read to you excerpts from a commentary by 
someone I've never met but whom I love because of what he's written. I spent my entire young life reading the scriptures, repenting, praying daily, following the commandments. In order to reconcile my faith and feelings, I fasted and I prayed, take this burden from me. I served a mission with the faith that it would give me enough spiritual strength to desire a heterosexual family. No matter how severe my religious goals, I never was able to change. I felt terribly alone and conflicted. Why wasn't God answering my prayers? My church leaders would tell me these were physical temptations of Satan. I was told that homosexuality was a sin comparable to, to murder. I remember being on my knees, sobbing in prayer, feeling like my homosexuality would keep me from returning to my Heavenly Father. Then a change. Rather than pray for God to make me straight, I began asking for strength to do the right thing, whatever that was. This process, process led me to leave behind the solitude and pain. I couldn't pray the gay away. This person is inactive in the church. Others who have had identical experiences go beyond what he has said, leading them to the depths of self-despair, a loss of self-esteem, and to repeated acts of thinking about and even attempting to take their lives. We can't neglect this background, this background when we open up discussions about this issue. Sorry for taking so long. No, Bill. That, I think that's very important, and, and no one better to speak to that than you. It's 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 weird. It's really the powerful. thing you just the thing that you just read could have been written exactly by a friend of mine uh, who who did write to me very similar things. And I know it's not the same person, but he had a, those those very same feelings. They're not unusual, and uh, it is too bad that we're not prepared to to, to acknowledge these things a little more openly. Bill, let me also say, as a gay man, thank you for for sharing that, for for reading that. I I could have written that, you know, whatever for whatever reason, my life was handed back to me. But um, so many aren't that fortunate. So thank you. Mitch, what? Uh, why don't you take some time since your time is limited to respond to Morris's invitation about something that might have been uh, you would like to have seen on the website. Absolutely. Um, there, I, I have actually two primary points of things that I, I would like to, to talk about. The first is um, I was troubled um, on the website by the absence of how to respond to adolescents um, and young people um, who are LGBT. Um, and what this translates to me is um, into for me is, is you know I talked earlier about you know getting literally tens and thousands of emails from from LGBT Mormons in all walks of life, everything from 12-year-olds to, you know, 70-year-olds. And the ones from the youth um, are so, so deeply frightening um, because the kids, these kids are so in such a tenuous position. You know, and I look at this website and I think, absolutely fantastic. Love and acceptance, they're going to go a long way. And they're also the cornerstone, um, and, and, and you know this, um, Bob, from having been a co-author with Dr. Ryan, they're also the cornerstone of the Family Acceptance Project Mormon booklet. But we're still just scratching the surface here. And the truth of the matter is, is, is parents and gay kids don't have 10 years to figure this out. Parents don't have 10 years to figure out whether or not they're going to accept their gay child. I've seen this time and time again. Parents need the critical information now. They need to be able to protect their child, to keep their family together, and to make correct decisions very quickly. 
Otherwise, they risk not only fracturing their family, but also doing great harm to their children. So I think that is a huge missed opportunity here. Yeah. The second thing that I find troubling is, okay, so this is good, and it is a step in the right direction, and it is a bridge into the LGBT community, you know, or we want to build that bridge into the LGBT community. This isn't the bridge. It's a brick and a significant one, but it's not the bridge. So what do we do now? What is the call to action here? You know, the message of be nicer to everybody has been around for a couple of thousand years now, and it hasn't really worked that well in the Mormon community, to be quite frank. You know, we've said that over and over again. Great that we're saying it again, but what's the call to action? What do ecclesiastical leaders do? What do Mormon bishops do? What do stake presidents do? What do we do differently? I said in an article that I wrote for Huffington Post, I think it's time for the Mormon community to stop simply talking about what our Savior would do and roll up our sleeves and actually do it. Um, and what I'd like to see happen is for wards and congregations throughout the country, throughout the world for that matter, begin to do what we're doing in the San Francisco Bay Area, and that is throwing the doors open to everyone, including our LGBT brothers and sisters, wherever they are in their personal lives. That means every gay member, when they want to, can come to be a part of our ward family, whether they're single and living within the confines of the gospel, as we understand it today, or dating somebody new every night, or in a committed monogamous relationship with a spouse of their same gender. Everyone, everyone should be welcome into the word family. And until that happens, the gay Mormon experience isn't going to be significantly different from what it is today. The website is great, but again, I keep going back to this is a website to help straight people. It doesn't do that much to help the gay Mormon experience. And my, uh, I think my biggest wish for this website, uh, it does, it seems to leave no room for change on the question of gay marriage. In the past, the church has made dramatic changes in relation to marriage, uh, changes that some leaders and many members believe would never happen, and one of these relates to the change in polygamous marriages, and the other relates to interracial marriages between blacks and whites. That is, there are people who felt those changes would never come, and there are ones now that we know did come. So my question is, isn't it possible to think that there could be further light and knowledge on this subject as well? There are many Latter-day Saints, and I'm one, who deeply wish that our gay and lesbian members could marry the people they love and have the kind of rich and rewarding and deeply intimate marriages that heterosexuals enjoy. And, you know, when people talk about uh, the difficulty of this, well, I, th I think there are many things we don't understand, which we, as a church, say we're going to leave to a loving and merciful uh, Lord in the next life. And I just say can't let this can't we this be one of those things where we let people marry and whatever the implications are as with many things in this life uh, leave that to the next life but i hope that there might be a time when uh, we will speak of this as a possibility i would agree with that bob I, that, that's i think the thing that i found most distressing about the website is the insistence that uh, this is the way it is. It will never change. From the very beginning, there was an introductory comment that it is not attributed to a specific author, but it says that from a public relations perspective, it would be easier for the church to simply accept homosexual behavior that we cannot do, for God's law is not ours to change. There is no change in the church's position of what is morally right. You know, what God's law and whether we change God's law, was it God's law that we not extend the priesthood to blacks, that we oppose interracial marriages? Was it God's law that 
uh, polygamy was the new and everlasting covenant that would never change. I don't think God's law changes, but I do think that our understanding of God's uh, desires is imperfect. And it seems to me that, in general, the uh, general authorities have not claimed for themselves infallibility on these issues, or at least the apologetics uh, among us say they have not. But I was a little disturbed by things that were said in here that suggest that, uh, well, there was one statement, uh, this one was by Elder Christofferson, so homosexual behavior is contrary to God's plan, has been, always will be, and uh, can never be anything but transgression. Well, I, I don't know, are we... Are we now claiming infallibility? don't think that's really what he meant. But when I see what has changed in the past, and when I see the evolution that has occurred to date, when I look at what I think is going to happen in the future, I think we need to leave ourselves open for the possibility someday of doing exactly what Mitch and Baba suggested, and that is welcoming those in committed same-sex relationships into our, our doors. This is Bill. I'll I'll uh, piggyback on what you just said, Morris. It seems to me that when we do- we talk about sin and identify sins, in every case we make we can make the case, we can offer an explanation. We know why dishonesty is wrong. Uh, we know why adultery is a sin. We know why it's a sin to steal. In the case of of uh, the issue at hand, the sinful nature is never explicated. I, I, I think it's clear in the church and out of the church that younger people, people younger than 25 or 30, whatever the age is, have a greater acceptance and sensitivity to people who are gay. Why? Because they know these people. They are friends from school. They are people with whom you spend time. You get to know who they are, what kind of individuals they, they are, what, what st- standards they have, what virtues they have. And when that kind of an examination is made, most people say, these people are just like me. These people are as good as I am. So on a more personal note, the church permits a sinner, me, to go to the Orem 7th Ward, and once or maybe twice a month I get to teach the lesson in my high priest quorum. If this is a sin, if homosexual relationships are sinful, then I'm not sure they're near the top of the priority list. I have to say that the gay and lesbian people that I know both in and out of the church are extraordinary human beings whose lives I admire, for whom I have deep love, and uh, I hope that we start thinking a little bit about what sinfulness may mean as we move towards the open doors that Mitch described for... For our for our meeting houses. 
What you just said, Bill, reminds me of a conversation I had yesterday with my stake president in which I t gave him an example of a bishop who uh, told me that he had been approached by a lesbian member of his ward who asked if she could come back to church, and he said on two conditions, one, that you bring your partner, and two, that you accept a calling. And my stake president said, I didn't know we could give callings to people who are living in sin or unworthy. And I said, I said, well, there are a lot of people in my ward who do not qualify for temple recommend, but who hold all kinds of uh, callings. And um, I think the... Uh, the example that Jesus gave to the woman taken adultery was the lesson that we should all be looking to. Uh, who, who, who was the greater sinner? It was those who condemned her, not the woman. And um, so I think that you're right. I think that our category and our prioritizing of transgressions, does the Lord look more favorably on a gay couple who've been married uh, and been true to one another for 25 years or to uh, a heterosexual family in which there is abuse and neglect and, uh, and unkindness? I think that gets to the question you've asked. Yeah. Now, I know we're getting close to the time when Mitch is going to have to sign off, and so I would like to just frame what is going to be my, what I'd like to have us end on, and then if we need to, we can circle back and talk about some more things after Mitch leaves, but I'd like Mitch to have a chance to, to respond to this. I, I alluded earlier to the fact that I think there's an evolution going on in in the church thinking concerning homosexuality and that we're just in the midst of it right now. But an evolutionary process often is a long-term process. I was reading recently about the fact that it took 300 years for the of discussion and debate for the early Christians to come up with the idea of which books should be included in our Bible, uh, what make up the canon. 300 years of discussion before it was resolved. Now, I'm hoping that this will not take 300 years, but if we were to look long-term, not just in five years or ten years, but at least maybe in a hundred years, what would we like to see change, what would we like to be, see be the situation with respect to our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters? And I wonder, Mitch, if, if you have any thoughts on that, and if you have a prediction you'd care to make, then go ahead and share that. Thank you, Morris. <clears throat> I think um, in a in 100 years, if, if we could fast forward, I think that we will look back at at this point in time in history and shake our heads. It's similar to what we do now with women being allowed the right to vote or not being considered property um, of men. Same thing that we do now with slavery. Um, I think we'll look back at this and shake our head and think, what, what was our sticking point? What was the big deal? I think this is, as humans, we seem to, um, we seem to almost need a group to exclude. Um, for many years, it was women. Then it transferred to blacks, and now it's transferred to gays. I don't know who the next, you know, quote-unquote, leper of the day will be, but I feel like we, it's, it's this evolution of the human mind and human kindness um, to be able to begin to really understand that this is really one great big family. Um, no one is really on the outside looking in, yet we seem in our own primitive, limited human capacity to need to have someone that is on the outside. Um, but I think in 100 years we're going to look back at this and being a gay couple is going to be as normal as being a heterosexual couple and we will see full fellowship within the church and we will see temple ceremonies that have been expanded and, and 
ad revised to to include LGBT Mormons and, and their spouses and their families. I think we're going to look back at this and, and chuckle a little embarrassingly. Thanks, Mitch. I really uh, appreciate your being part of this group, this panel. Uh, you mentioned, I think, while we were offline, that uh, being a bit intimidated by the credentials of the others on the line, but you are extraordinarily articulate, and you've presented a viewpoint that none of us can, and, uh, and it's been incredibly valuable, and thanks so much for joining us. No, I was just going to say, I appreciate you guys aren't bad for a bunch of straight guys, um, but I, I, um, I very much appreciate the, the part. You know, I was just talking to a friend of mine this morning, and, you know, looking back at my life, you guys, even the period of time that I left the church and, and deliberately tried to not have a relationship with my Savior because I thought he hated me, I was still in the palm of his hand. Every single thing that has happened to me in the progression of my life, um, you know, growing up as a poor kid, um, you know, from a divorced family, which, which automatically put a, you know, gave me a black eye in the Mormon community, um, being gay, you know, having made it out of that alive, to go to a great, you know, one of the nation's top five universities, um, to live in the Bay Area, to happen to be married to a wonderful, wonderful man that I love so much to this day, and to have that dissemble the way it did, um, and to be then presented with this opportunity to serve in my church and create this, this great Mormon existence for other people, none of this, none of this is a mistake. I am so amazingly blessed to have my Savior as, not just my Savior, but my champion and somebody who has always got my back. Um, and I owe all of this to him. And thank you for for letting me be a mouthpiece for him. Well, and for you blessing all of us and so many people, Mitch. God bless you, Mitch. Yes, thanks so Sorry much for being choke up there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was great having you on the line, and uh, I, I hope I've never met you personally, but I hope I get a chance to soon. Thank you. Likewise. Now that Mitch is no longer with us, there are, I think, a few more things that both Bob and Bill would like to say about the website and their thoughts concerning it. So, Bob, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Well, I, one of the things that I liked about the website, which might not be obvious to everyone, is that it features some Latter-day Saints like Ty Mansfield and Laurie Campbell who are bisexual. And the reason I think this is important is because histor historically the church has tended to, or in the church we've tended to, obscure the knowledge base on sexual orientation and focus only on attraction, which is really only one aspect of sexual orientation. So sustaining heterosexual marriage may be possible for people who are bisexual, but they're not for those who are gay. For example, Ty Mansfield states that, quote, he didn't have strong romantic or sexual feelings for women, unquote, when he was young and dating. But he did have some, uh, and his celebrated relationship with his wife confirms this. But such intimacy is not possible for gay and lesbian people who clearly fall on the far end of the Kinsey sexual orientation scale, that is, those who uh, would be Kinsey sixes. And thus, the only option open to them as faithful members of the church is lifelong celibacy, which is a subject that is not explicitly discussed on the website. Bill talked about research, uh, the things we do know. Well, research in the field of human sexuality has clearly evolved over the decades, 
But what we know is that everyone has sexual orientation, whether they're heterosexual, homosexual, or bisexual. And in the most authoritative study on health issues relating to sexual orientation and gender, which uh, done by the Institute of Medicine of the National Academy of Sciences, it notes that sexual orientation is about intimate human relationships. It is thus important for, I think, everybody to acknowledge that some individuals can have such relationships with the opposite sex, some with the same sex, and others with both sexes. And so we have featured on this website uh, uh, people who are fit into that last category. And um, and I, you know, one of the things that I guess I didn't particularly appreciate is that if I I'm, I try to put myself in the position of a gay person looking at this website, and I'm not entirely successful in doing that, but somewhat successful. And when I I fit into the category of somebody that Bill has identified and that Mitch himself identifies himself as being, who's tried desperately over many years to change or conform to a standard that they can't conform to. And then I see stories, which are nice stories, about people who were able to, and I see these people kissing their wives and playing with their children. As a gay person, it would be heartbreaking to me not that I wouldn't celebrate what they have done, but that I can't do that. And so um, I think by focusing on the heterosexuality versus homosexuality, that this is a very limited interpretation of human sexuality, and this is, obscures the reality of, of many people. And I think it puts extreme pressure on people who are gay uh, to live a lifestyle uh, that they, they can't live. So I just think we have to be cautious about generalizing from these individual stories as as authentic or as uh, touching as some of these stories may be. Human sexuality is much more complex and diverse and uh, than this website shows, that there is a lot that is available to us in terms of understanding human sexuality and that it would be really good for us, as Bill suggested, if we... Um, as leaders, as parents, as uh, individual members of the church, that we are able to make a distinction between those people who are capable of having a successful heterosexual marriage and those who are not. Because one of the things that happens, and it is already happening, is that parents look at this website and they look, they hear of other stories and they see news stories of people who say they've transitioned from gay to straight or they've been able to accommodate to a successful heterosexual marriage that the parents then say to their children, why can't you do this? And so that then leads these children to despair and to blame themselves as somehow they can't live up to a model that somebody else has presented as a model. Yeah, you know, I I see that same problem, Bob, and I was reading a few of the comments. You know, there was an article in the Deseret News that profiled the, the woman who, uh, the bisexual woman who was in a lesbian relationship and is now happily married with many children. And, and you read the comments that people write there, and you see how reluctant some church members are to join it. There was one comment from a someone who identified herself as Midwest mom. She says, either the gospel is true or it is not. Families is viewed through the LDS doctrine are eternal or they're not. To change basic fundamental doctrine to appease certain groups would be a lie. Otherwise, how exactly would that work? Say the church were to sanction same-gender marriage. 
children of such a marriage will be sitting in my primary lesson as I teach the family concepts there in the proclamation on the family. This is the plan of salvation, but not for you who live with two moms and two dads. That said, the thought of living alone and single because of your sexual orientation is profoundly sad, yet it is no more tragic than some of my close friends who live alone because they have never found a marriage partner or were tragically widowed. I don't mean to sound glib, it's just that there are so many kinds of pain in this world. So apparently what she's saying is she doesn't want a gay couple with children in her ward because she might have to explain to those kids that their parents are living in sin. And she's kind of hit on a problem, hasn't she? I mean, I don't agree with her take on it. I don't think the the option, I think what she's saying is they ought to stay away from church. I don't agree with that. But we're gonna if we're going to really talk about full love and fellowship, we're going to have to deal with that. Well, the fact of the matter is uh, that we teach eternal marriage to children whose parents are can't be married eternally because one of them is a member of the church and one of them is not. We teach all kinds of things in the church, and it seems to me that we have to adjust our teaching and we have to uh, be compassionate, but that's quite different from saying we don't want these people in our congregations because it presents a challenge to us to how to, uh, how to relate or adjust to them. Right. One of the problems here is the uh, tension between knowledge and understanding and perhaps truth that uh, is accessible to us through spiritual means, through revelation, through promptings of the Spirit, and that which comes to us through empirical inquiry. And unfortunately, many people see these things as, as opposed to one another and incompatible. And it seems to me that Latter-day Saints have most of the time uh, embraced both as correct avenues for finding out what's right and what to do. So as Bob, in his usual articulate way, was talking moments ago about the issue of bisexuality and the possibilities that are open to people who are biological capable of some romantic feelings towards both men and women. I can tell you that I have access to data from a study with whom I'm, uh, a study uh, that I'm engaged in with colleagues from Utah State University that exactly supports that, that point of view. As I look uh, at the people in our study uh, across the degree to which they remain affiliated with the church, so those who are active, those who are inactive, those who have had, who have resigned their church membership or have had sanctions placed against them. What's clear is that there isn't very much difference in their early histories with regard to the degree that they're committed to the church. How many have filled missions? How many have been endowed? How many have uh, served as Relief Society presidents or quorum presidents? Uh, what makes the difference is their position on the scale that measures the degree of their homosexuality. Uh, and interestingly, those people who have made the most intense efforts to change, those people characteristic of the quote that I cited earlier, the people who have done everything they could to uh, change who they are sexually, who have covenanted with their Heavenly Father, who describe their efforts as 
quote, I was a Mormon on steroids. I tried to enter into a covenant with my Heavenly Father uh, alike unto Abraham's challenge. They have done everything, and they can't change. These people are the ones who are furthest to the homosexual side of the orientation scale. These, these are the best and the brightest, in some ways, of Mormonism. To, to lose these people cannot be accepted as collateral damage to, to, to some kind of theological conception that doesn't honor them as children of Heavenly Father with the same uh, right to equality and to mortal lives of, of satisfaction. Uh, and, and happiness and service uh, and, and and contributions. Uh, we are so ignorant about so many of these issues. It, what we don't know is so profound that I think, in the face of that, we need to be non-judgmental about uh, a large number of issues, including uh, including the possibilities for our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. I can say one of the other things that I I found personally gratifying about the website was how much the language and the themes on the website reflect the kinds of uh, behaviors that Dr. Ryan and her team at the Family Acceptance Project at San Francisco State documented in their extensive research with LGBT youth and families, and that Caitlin and I, as you know, wrote about in our evidence-based booklet on supporting families, healthy children helping Latter-day Saint families with lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender children. Um, and I, I hope your listeners know that that booklet is available for free download or printed copies on the Family Acceptance Project uh, website. But that is what Elder Oaks and Chris Alverson and Cook recommend are the very kinds of supportive behaviors that Dr. Ryan's research shows helps decrease serious health risks for you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender uh, youth, including the risk for suicide, which is a, a great, great tragedy within the Mormon community. So it's refreshing to see that kind of uh, acknowledgement that that kind of behavior of leaders and families and members can make this, uh, this great, uh, has this great difference in people's lives. Thanks, Bob. Why don't we now kind of finish off what we were talking about when Mitch had to sign off, and that is, where would you you like to see us in our where do you think we'll be in a hundred years and maybe those are the same the same answer uh, with regard to this these issues that are discussed today and were discussed on the church's website bill what do you think about that well I think that uh, as people of my age die then the polls that ask what percentage of Americans approve of same-sex marriage is going to go up and up and up and uh, I think that the uh, openness of the younger generation, the recognition that they have that their gay friends are no different than they, uh, that that is likely to make a difference in, in, in many aspects, in, in social, as we address sticky social issues and exactly how it's going to play out in the next year in the courts, that's going to be... Like for me, unpredictable at the moment, but extraordinarily important. Are are people going to be more 
likely to accept empirical data as being important in the way they make decisions? I'm not so sure about that. We seem to <laughs> we seem to hang on to our prejudices tightly in the face of evidence to the contrary. I want to go to church and have single gay celibate Mormon sitting on one side, married gay Mormons sitting on the other side. I want to have people who are heterosexual and have not yet established a legal relationship to be there, too. I, w I want us to all be there. The church is poorer for the absence of its gay members. We, we're not, <laughs> we're not as capable, we're not as nice, we're not as talented, we're not as good, we're not co as close as we ought to be to the Savior's ideals because our gay brothers and sisters are not comfortable with us. I hope and pray that'll change. Okay, um, if we want to see what this nation would look like if it really embraced uh, gays and lesbians, uh, just have to look across the uh, uh, the ocean to see other societies that have fully embraced uh, uh, gays and lesbians and have gay marriages and they haven't uh, fallen apart uh, and they haven't uh, gone back into the dark ages. If we want to see what our church might be like, uh, were we to be really progressive, we just have to look at the... Uh, some of the other churches that have opened their doors and their hearts to gays and lesbians. I, some of my students uh, uh, belong to churches where this issue was resolved some time ago. Um, so if we look into the future, we can really just look up the present and see some uh, some interesting models. And I guess I'm I'm just not. I've maybe I've got ten more years, so I'm going to look into the, into ten years rather than a hundred. And I look back. And I didn't think the time would ever come when I would see blacks hold the priesthood when I was a younger man. I didn't think there would ever come a time when I would see a black uh, man elected as president of the United States. I didn't think when I was in China a number of years ago that I would see the Mormonism flourishing in China. I didn't think that uh, I would ever see in my lifetime uh, an Arab Spring. Now, why did those things happen? They happened because people imagined they might happen. And so... Um, I feel that if, you know, if Joseph Smith had not imagined that God could answer his question, he would never have gone into that grove of trees to ask which church he should join. So I, I'm impatient. I want change to happen faster. I, in my lifetime, would like to see what Bill just described. And so I think if we were, you know, 25 years ago when I was released as bishop, I wrote a pamphlet called No More Strangers and Foreigners, and I... In it, I said, I think this is a, a, an issue of such importance to the church that as a church, uh, we should fast and pray for guidance from the Lord. Uh, and I think that is still how I feel. I think it's how I feel about gay marriage, that as a church, we shouldn't be saying, this will never come. We should be asking the Lord, would you possibly find a way to make it come? And the Lord would probably say, open your hearts, brothers and sisters. Open your hearts, my children. Let the light uh, flow in. So when we think about what Zion is, Zion is the pure in heart. This church is the Church of Jesus Christ, but it's also the Church of Latter-day Saints, which means it's our church, which means it's our stewardship. If we can imagine the church being fully inclusive, if we could imagine in our deepest, heartfelt, 
pure heart imagination, the kind of church that I think Christ wants it to be, then I think we will make it happen, and we'll make it happen much sooner than 100 years, maybe, hopefully, even in my lifetime. Thanks, Bob. I, I hope you're right. I don't know if I personally would predict it within our lifetime. I've often said that I wish the church had taken the exact opposite tack in regards to Prop 8, that they would have encouraged its passage on the theory that now there would be a chance to to counsel our young gay and lesbian members to behave exactly the same as we now counsel our young heterosexual members, and that is to be sexually pure until the time comes when we feel that we can take someone in lawful marriage. And if, if that were to happen, we would have true equality, and we would see what both you and Bill, I think, are hoping for, which is uh, that we'd have all of our gay brothers and sisters who, who desire a relationship with the church sitting next to us in the pews, uh, something that is very rare right now. And I, I'm sure that in 100 years we'll be there. I hope that we are within my lifetime. I hope, Bob, that, that you're absolutely right. If we could, if we could imagine it, if we could, you know, I think that in relation to Proposition 8, I saw it as a great missed opportunity because I, I felt when I was released as bishop that the only solution would be a level playing field for everyone, everyone with premarital chastity and postmarital fidelity, as you just uh, articulated. And the fact is that Bill so beautifully said these people desperately want to be in our uh, in our uh, in our congregations. They are they and we are much poorer because of for the fact that they're not there. Let's hope that this new website encourages more of them to be there and more of us to accept them. Well, thank you, and, and thanks, Bill and Bob, both of you, and, and Mitch and Absentia for being here. I'll bring this dialogue podcast to a conclusion and hope we'll catch you with our next podcast. This has been, I think, one of my very favorite ones to date. If you enjoyed this recording but are not yet a subscriber to Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought, we urge you to become one. And if you are a subscriber, we thank you for that and ask you to consider giving a gift subscription this Christmas time to one of your friends. You can subscribe and get a lot more information on our website, which is www.dialoguejournal.com. Thank you very much for being with us. This is Morris Thurston signing off. Until next time. You've been listening to the Dialogue Journal podcast series. We'd like to thank our guests today. For more Dialogue podcasts or to comment on this one, please visit dialoguejournal.com. Thank you.